Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In this nation, the United States of America, and I'm sure this is true in the free world, generally speaking, language is so corrupted so subverted that words, so many of them have become all but meaningless. The word tragedy is applied liberally, very generously, to all manner of things that are not tragedies. Things which may be sad, but do not rise to the level of tragedy. Meanwhile, there are other things that are not even sad. They're just disappointing, and yet which are referred to as being tragic. But there certainly is enough tragedy, genuine tragedy, to go around. And this day, the body of the great-grandson of Robert F. Kennedy, eight-year-old Gideon Joseph Kennedy McKean or McCain was located, located, I believe, about two-fifths of a mile from the body of his mother, Maeve or Mavy Kennedy Townsend McKean or McCain. Not sure on those pronunciations. I have not heard them. But this is genuine tragedy that has befallen the Kennedy family. And as I mentioned previously, it is ironic and horrible that this actually happened due to this family having left their home and traveled to her mother's home along the Chesapeake Bay in order to shelter in place. It's going to take a long time for this family to get over this. The loss of wife and mother and loss of this little boy. Truly a terrible tragedy. Moving on to things that I'm sure some idiotic people will refer to as being tragic. Bernie Sanders, Bernie Alinsky Sanders, Bernie Marxist Sanders has dropped out of the presidential race, the Democrat presidential race for 2020. This leaves only Joe Biden. I'm sure, again, that many backers, many supporters, many activists for Bernie will see this as tragic, tragedy, (laughs) when in fact, of course, it is not remotely even sad, let alone tragic. But meanwhile, Joe Biden, Joe Biden is now going full on ahead with seeing about selecting a vice presidential running mate. Terribly exciting. One name that has been floated, 
repeatedly is that of Michigan's freshman governor, Whitmer. None other than Gretchen Whitmer. And Gretchen, she is not merely a governor in her first go-round as governor, but also she is executive order-in-chief governor of Michigan. She has... She has whipped out 75 new executive orders. Yes, pertaining to the coronavirus, coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic that is hitting Michigan very, very hard. In fact, Michigan being hit harder now than any other state than New York. That's right. The death toll has surpassed that of Washington state so forth. So it is second only to New York State. But she is one of a handful of top picks for Joe Biden. And you will see much more about her, no doubt, along with various others. Now, she does not have going for her what some others have, such as the racial, ethnic predisposition to <laughs> to balance the ticket. But she is youthful, to say the least. She's 48, I believe. Meanwhile, speaking of these female power position politicians and others, how many times have we heard? I mean, for this entire presidential go-round, it was that we had to have a woman, you know, for for presidential nominee. Oh, it had to be a woman this time. It just had to be because otherwise women's needs would not be met. Even though try to find a woman politician, let alone a woman presidential candidate, that is truly truly representative of women, of mothers, traditional values of women as compared to feminazi agenda. But I mentioned the other day about the election in Wisconsin that took place yesterday, their spring election. And that it came about because of a ruling from the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which overruled the Democrat governor, Tony Evers, who had done an about face from what he had said four days prior, that he didn't have the power to change the election date and so forth. But then he went ahead and did it anyway, four days later. Well, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, quashed that. But I just thought I would mention to you the makeup of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Now, Wisconsin, you may think of Wisconsin as being, that's middle America, or that's rural America. That certainly has traditional values. But Wisconsin, for decades now, has been noticeably leftist. 
but this Wisconsin Supreme Court. We're not talking about any other court in Wisconsin. Talking about the number one court, the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Its chief justice is a woman, Patience Rogensack. She has other women justices, Rebecca Dallet, Anne Walsh Bradley, Annette Ziegler, Rebecca Bradley. I wonder if Rebecca Bradley and Anne Walsh Bradley are related. They certainly are not related to me, but I, I just wonder. So five there, including the chief justice, are women. Then there are two men, Brian Hagedorn and Daniel Kelly. And Daniel Kelly is up for election, so he recused himself. He did not participate in that decision because he was on the ballot. And he is being challenged by, you guessed it, a woman judge, Jill Karofsky. So, currently, the makeup of that court is five women to two men, with the chief justice being a woman. But, depending on what happens with the election yesterday, that could change to a court of six women and one man. The Wisconsin Supreme Court, again, with the chief justice being a woman. Oh, Brad, that's the way it should be. Really? That's the way it should be? Oh, but there's this glass ceiling and women are being oppressed and they can't get to the top and so forth. Dream on. Meanwhile, something that I take less stock in than I take in models, whether they be political campaign models, economic models, monetary policy models, fiscal policy models, stock market models, or infectious virus models, fatality models, and so forth, something I take less stock in, even than those things, is opinion polls. But the latest round of opinion polls, which have been presented this week, they show a majority of Americans now disapproving of President Trump's handling of the coronavirus outbreak. Not good news for the president. And if you think about it, if you have read the various different reports and so forth, going back, not just a month, but two months back and so forth, it's been, we are in April. So we have to go back three months to when I referred to this as being a pandemic. But Just going back a couple months ago and coming forward, it was very unmistakably clear, regardless how far back you go, that the president was focused on preventing economic reversals, let alone economic recession or economic, worse than that, collapse or depression. And that's understandable that he would have been concerned about that. But to allow those concerns 
and concerns about his presidential reelection. To allow those concerns to trump, pun intended, what actions to take with reference to this looming pandemic is unconscionable. Now, he has, as I knew he would, as I mentioned a couple days ago, he has now shifted and he has said, well, the reason that he did not declare a state of emergency before he did, that he responded by non-responding, by denial and so forth, as long as he did, was because he did not want to start a panic. Of course, of course. And again, that's legitimate-ish, right? Legitimate-ish. Well, I mentioned the other day about uh, his new spokespeople. I'm going to get to them in just a moment. But also the other day I mentioned about Peter Navarro, social scientist flaunting his Ph.D. I mean, just it is so reminiscent of Donald Trump. He likes to surround himself with people like himself and or and or attractive, uh, desirable young women. But (laughs) Peter Navarro, like Donald Trump, flaunting his his brilliance and so forth, that he's a Ph.D. and he knows this stuff even if his Ph.D. is in social science, not in medicine and so forth. But Peter Navarro has been at odds to a degree with Dr. Anthony Fauci. And Peter Navarro has been trumpeting this new drug that I mentioned the other day, along with the commander-in-chief, even though there is not the scientific support for it yet. It's not to say that it won't be proven, but not yet. But Peter Navarro, what about Peter Navarro? What is his position? You know, his Ph.D. is in economics. His position is that he is the numero uno trade and manufacturing aide to the president. That would not seem to predispose him to be the most authoritative to speak regarding the coronavirus, coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. But then, hey, I was speaking regarding it months ago, and I don't have scientific credentials. What I found interesting is that Peter Navarro, he provided one memo for sure back on January 29th and seemingly another one on February 23rd, even though his name is not directly attached to it. And the substance of these memos bears directly on this. He stated in the first, quote, would leave Americans defenseless in the case of a full-blown coronavirus or coronavirus outbreak on U.S. soil. Going back to the, end quote, before the would leave, he said that the 
dearth of, it's not written there, but the dearth of immune protection or a cure or a vaccine that would leave Americans defenseless if there should be a full-blown coronavirus outbreak on U.S. soil. Quote, this lack of protection elevates the risk of the coronavirus evolving into a full-blown pandemic, imperiling the lives of millions of Americans, end quote. That was back January 29th, I believe. Let me just check back. January 29th. So it's, it's after I referred to it as being pandemic, but this is still comparatively early on. But the president says he never read this memo, and he didn't read the following one on February 23rd, which again has been attributed to Navarro, in which it is stated, quote, this is not a time for penny pinching or horse trading on the hill. That there was an increasing probability of a full-blown COVID-19 pandemic that could infect as many as 100 million Americans with a loss of life of as many as 1.2 million souls, end quote. Well, that number, 1.2 million, that was a low number provided by the models from Imperial College in UK as compared to 2.4 million and so forth. But meanwhile, the president, Donald Trump, he stated on March 19th, quote, I would view it as something that just surprised the whole world. And if people would have known about it, it could have stopped, stopped being in place. Nobody knew there'd be a pandemic or an epidemic of this proportion. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before, end quote. Then he followed up a week later. He said, quote, this is again the president. Nobody would have ever thought a thing like this could have happened, end quote. From President Trump. So nobody had ever heard of there being a plague, pestilence, disease, epidemic that affected multiple countries, multiple nations, sweeping a whole continent, moving from one continent to another. It had never been heard of in all of human history, never been encountered, according to the Apprentices, Donald Trump. Outstanding leadership from the president. He said that if he had seen those memos, he did not see them, he did not read them, those from his top trade official, <laughs> he did not read them, he did not see them. His top aide for trade and manufacturing, he didn't see them, he didn't read them. But if he had, if he had, it would not have affected what he said and what he did. 
He said that this really didn't build up for a while. That's I'm quoting really didn't build up for a while, and he didn't want to cause an unnecessary panic. I am a cheerleader for this country. I don't want to create havoc and shock and everything else. I obviously was concerned about it because I closed down our country to China, which was heavily infected, end quote. From the president again. Yes, he referred refers to himself as a cheerleader for the country. (laughs) He didn't want to create havoc and shock and everything else. Isn't that interesting? If we go back to presidential race 2016, do we see him exercise caution and restraint And decency in the remarks that he makes regarding his competitors for the nomination? Do we see that? No. What do we see from him? Creating havoc. Savaging his opponents. Slandering his opponents. Demeaning them. Dishonoring them. Routinely. And he has done that throughout his presidency. Such as his abominable mistreatment of Jeff Sessions. And others. (laughs) But no, he didn't want to create havoc. Oh my. Believe that, if you will. You know, if you are drinking that Kool-Aid like so very many. Republican and or conservative and or Christian talk hosts, radio talk show hosts have been. Go ahead. Continue to deceive yourselves. Delude yourselves and delude and deceive your followers. Your listeners. By all means. Meanwhile, I referred to the changeover in the White House now in terms of communications departments. The press secretary function. There has been a press secretary in place, Stephanie Grisham, for the past year plus who has not given a single press briefing. She has gotten to enjoy wearing three hats and, of course, receiving very nice remuneration during that time. And now she has been moved over to be chief executive for Melania Trump for her loyalty. Quid pro quo. But the press secretary department, if you want to call it that, office, whatever, has a staff of 35 people. That is not including communications directors like Kellyanne Conway. Not including those above the level of press secretary. But 
Now there is a strategic communications director. (laughs) New position, I believe, but maybe not. I I didn't see anything about anybody being moved from that post, so I'm guessing maybe it's a new one. But this is the work of Mark Meadows, who now is chief of staff. He was a congressman and a decent one, I think, based on (laughs) there were at least some good things that he was responsible for, involved in. But meanwhile, Kaylee McEnany is to be the new press secretary. Can't wait for Kaylee to take her place there. Kaylee has been, she is currently, the national press secretary a.k.a. spokeswoman for President Donald Trump's re-election campaign, campaign 2020. And she will be moving into this role to be the so-called chief spokeswoman for the White House. So what do we know of Kaylee? Other than that she is... (laughs) She is front and center. She is just the face of the campaign right now for re-election. One of them. She said the following concerning President Trump in her capacity as national press secretary for his re-election campaign. Quote, this president will always put America first. He will Always protect American citizens. We will not see diseases like the coronavirus come here. We will not see terrorism come here. End quote. Now, when this came out, when she was reminded of this, She stated that this constituted ridiculous spin. She claimed that her remarks were in reference to President Trump's decision to ban non-U.S. citizens from entering the country from China. Talk about spin. This woman is a spin doctor. This is her damage control defense here for herself, claiming that publishing this, publishing her outrageous, idiotic remarks, constitutes spin, when in fact she is the one spinning it. What a great choice, Mr. President. What a great choice you've made. But you see, again, loyalty is what it's all about. And he does love to surround himself with attractive young women. Hope Hicks is a woman that I actually have some respect for comparatively. And a beautiful woman, intelligent, outwardly, refined, sophisticated. I'm not saying she's not that way internally as well, but definitely outwardly. 
Furthermore, based on what I've read concerning her, she's more than that. She's sweet, good, kind, generous, spirited, and so forth. Too bad about her taste in men. (laughs) It runs to men that are not the best kind, uh, such as the man uh, that she chose to be involved with there at the White House when she was there previously. But, but Hope Hicks, again, intelligent, and she had some experience in this and that. But for her to be selected by the president to be his number one advisor, his number one personal advisor speaks volumes about the dearth of wisdom of that man, as if you needed, you know, some other evidence of it. Absent fear of God, there is not the tiniest beginning or modicum of godly wisdom according to God's word. And Donald Trump has no fear in God, no faith in God, no worship of God, no fear of God and no godly wisdom. And his life bears that out in spades. But so now he has promoted this woman to be his press secretary, Kaylee McEnany. What a wonderful selection. Just, again, surround yourself with these people, with sycophants like Donald Jr., with senior advisor like Jared Kushner, who wouldn't be a senior advisor if he were not son-in-law Jared Kushner. And on it goes. But before I continue, let me say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, That is due to me. That is on me. That is my fault. Well, the United States government, under the direction of the president, it's going to be seizing equipment in the form of surgical gloves, surgical masks, respirators, ventilators, going to be seizing those that are ready to be exported. The United States Customs and Border Protection will be holding, (laughs) detaining such supplies. The Federal Emergency Management Agency is involved as well. FEMA will then seek to determine whether the various items should be returned to the United States of America, held in the United States of America, returned to the United States of America. I don't know how that works. You know, if they're seized here in the United States of America, what is the returning? But anyway, whether they should be returned for use in the United States whether that means return to the manufacturers or instead routed to the government, purchased by the United States government or exported. Well, a pa- 
apparently such seizures may have already taken place elsewhere. Berlin, Germany's state interior ministry has blamed the United States of America's government, federal government, for confiscating 200,000 masks ordered from a United States producer, but not from the United States, not within the United States, like what has now been announced, but instead that we're in transit going through Bangkok, Thailand. French officials, they have stated that various Americans are paying exorbitant amounts in order to procure supplies that they already ordered that are being shipped to them and they are being rerouted because various Americans have come in and, in essence, bribed Chinese officials. Hard to imagine, isn't it, that communist Chinese officials could be bribed? Hard to imagine that communist Chinese capitalist ventures, which are controlled by the communist Chinese regime, could be bribed? <laughs> it is. It really, it's just, it's beyond imagination, isn't it? Well, Germany's interior minister, Andreas Geisel, said, quote, we view this as an act of modern piracy. You cannot act in such a way among transatlantic partners. Such Wild West methods can't dominate even in a time of global crisis. Cannot dominate. Well, no, they can. They shouldn't, but they can. But, (laughs) again, this a French official said, quote, a load was taken from us by Americans who overbid on a batch that we (laughs) had identified that they had ordered, that they had procured. Shocking. I mean, do you think it's possible that there may be some additional ugly American kind of, uh, oh... Feelings about that, (laughs) about us. Well, perhaps. Meanwhile, France, speaking of France, France recorded its highest death toll from the coronavirus, COVID-19, a couple days ago. And this remarkable quote from French health minister Olivier Varane, quote, We have not reached the end of the end of the ascent of this epidemic, end quote. Just a a strange communication, but the point is that it is still peaking. It has not reached the peak in France, but it certainly has gotten high Meanwhile, Italy, 
As of a couple days ago, they had about one and one-third million cases of COVID-19. But it was stated by Italian authorities, Italian officials, that their daily death rate was falling significantly. So at least a light at the end of the tunnel there. Meanwhile, something fascinating from Texas, the great state of Texas. Well, in Texas, induced abortion, elective abortion, is being suspended for the time being. Oh my gosh, what a horrible, terrible thing. What about women's rights? Right? Amazingly enough, that's true. (laughs) They're being suspended. March 22nd order by Texas governor. Executive order, I'm assuming. Texas Governor Greg Abbott. He banned all non-essential medical procedures. Why would he do such a horrendous thing as that? In order to preserve hospital beds and personal protective equipment for treating COVID-19 patients. This order applied to non-surgical abortions as well. Again, interesting, isn't it, to suspend, to halt, murder of preborn babies in order to try to keep some people, adults, older adults, what have you, from dying from COVID-19. I just think that's fascinating, really fascinating. But moving on, I mentioned in a previous program, I don't believe the last one, but the one before that, New Mexico's Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, not any relation to Stephanie Grisham (laughs) in the White House as far as I know, but could be, I suppose. She had spoken with the president. And she had said, quote, we're seeing incredible spikes in the Navajo Nation. The rate of infection, at least on the New Mexico side. We're seeing a much higher hospital rate, a much younger hospital rate, a much quicker go right to the vent, the ventilator rate for this population. And we're seeing doubling in every day and a half. It could wipe out those tribal nations. Trump told her, we're gonna get you that hospital as quickly as we can. Boy, that's too bad for the Navajo Nation. I've been hearing that. (laughs) Yeah. End quote. Uh, 
outstanding communication from the commander-in-chief. They're on the phone, I believe. But, meanwhile, someone else, not the president, not New Mexico's governor, but Jonathan Nez, who is president of the Navajo Nation. He said, and this was days ago, we have a shelter in place here in Navajo Nation and have a curfew, and we are doing our best to slow down the spread or even stop the spread of coronavirus. People are already in their houses and hunkered down. They've been advising residents to stay at home, but allowing them out for necessities. But, why make mention of the Native American Indian tribes? Because they are at great, great risk, in peril, in particular peril. If we look back, the H1N1 flu killed four times as many Native American Indians as it did people in the rest of the population in this nation, the United States of America. And it is believed that that was due in large part to the overall poor health among Native American Indians. High rates of diabetes. High rates of bronchial asthma. High rates of heart disease. It is stated that that is still the case. That these communities suffer from worse health overall, significantly worse, than in the general population. Going all the way back to 1918, 102 years ago, the Spanish flu virtually annihilated the Native American communities. It stated that if you think about the 1918 Spanish flu or the 2009 H1N1 influenza During those respiratory viral pandemics, we saw that Native American children and adults had sometimes four to five times higher death rate than the general United States population. And that the risk factors, and that's according to Laura Hammett, She's director of the Infectious Disease Programs for the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health. But she stated that the risks, this much greater risk among the Native American Indian population, it is as true now as it was then. 
despite all of the time that has passed 102 years. Meanwhile, it was stated by the Centers for Disease Control going back to December 2009 that indigenous or native populations from Australia, Canada, and New Zealand were found to have a rate of hospitalization and death associated with infection with the 2009 pandemic influenza A, H1N1, virus 1, that was three to eight times higher than the general population. In October, two United States states stood out, Arizona and New Mexico. This is monstrous. And not only is there this greater risk pertaining to disease and so forth, but also that supplies, medical supplies, are incredibly shorthanded. They just do not have the materials they need. Meredith Raimondi, a spokesperson, a spokeswoman for the National Council of Urban Indian Health Centers, she said she knew of two clinics that had to close, two medical clinics that had to close because they didn't have enough staff and they didn't have protective equipment. She said the biggest concern for hospitals, for medical centers, was this terrible shortage of resources throughout the country and that tribes haven't seen help come their way. Quote, it really seems like Indian country is going to continue to be last on the list. And it's really concerning. End quote. Here in arguably the richest of nations, yes, you could say, well, Norway is richer, maybe Japan is richer, what have you. There certainly is the United Arab Emirates richer, right? But in this richest of nations, How horrible it is that there is this terrible disparity and vulnerability for these Native American Indians. I wonder what dear Liz, Native American Indian Warren, has been doing about that since she's been in office. If she's been doing so much, then why haven't the conditions changed, I wonder. Oh, but she should be president. Then things would change. Meanwhile, I've talked about the situations, the conditions, circumstances here. These perilous circumstances here in the United States of America. And the toll that this pandemic is taking around the world, 
Italy, Spain, France, China. And what can be expected in these other nations that have indigenous populations that I referred to Australia, Canada, New Zealand. The only bright spot there being in New Zealand that apparently they are having success in quashing the pandemic. We will see how that proceeds. But what about in other parts of the world? What about other countries? I just read about India, about concerns that it's just going to absolutely explode in India, that there were only 1,600 reported cases so far, and fears that it will just escalate enormously. Meanwhile, in Myanmar, Burma, Myanmar, communist Myanmar, they've been affected by it for sure. But so many of these nations that have been touched by it have not been overwhelmed by it yet. But they are in considerable danger of being. Meanwhile, in the UK, I haven't seen, heard, read anything further concerning the Prime Minister. But the death rate is increasing in the UK. Again, apparently, it has at least for this point in time peaked in Italy. It's not to say that there couldn't be a resurgence, but for the time being, it has peaked in Italy. But it is supposed to be only having begun in Africa. Going back weeks and weeks ago, I read of people who were infected on a river cruise on the Nile River in Egypt and who took the disease back home with them to Iran and elsewhere. Well, that is northernmost Africa. But apparently, it hasn't really reached most of the continent yet, let alone devastated it. This matter of supplies, you know, confiscating supplies and trying to keep them for use here in the United States of America. Supposedly, there was this agreement, this bartered arrangement, if you will, call it what you will, strong-armed coercion agreement with 3M for... The majority of their supplies to remain here in the States and so forth. And yet now they're having supplies which are intended for export being confiscated or held, detained, what have you, for use here in the States. I'm not against, by any stretch of the imagination, not against 
United States government saying that we need supplies here and doing everything in their power to see to it that supplies are provided such as to the Native American Indian tribes and so forth. But it certainly does get just a wee bit tricky when it involves narrowing the focus to such an extent that it's a matter of we're only going to look after ourselves and not beyond that. We're going to confine all resources to our preservation. We will see what transpires. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.